The opinions and viewpoints expressed in .NET Rocks are not necessarily those of its sponsors or of Microsoft Corporation, its partners, or employees. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, which is solely responsible for its content. Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter. Hey, Rockheads, put down that moose head and listen up, eh? It's time for another stellar episode of .NET Rocks, the internet audio talk show for .NET developers with Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell. This is Lawrence Ryan announcing show number 581 with guest Kent Alstadt, recorded live Sunday, June 27, 2010. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter. And now offering SharePoint 2007 video training with Sahil Malik on DVD, DNR TV style. Order your copy now at www.franklins.net. Support is also provided by Telerik, combining the best in Windows forms, WPF, Silverlight, and ASP.NET controls with first-class customer service. Online at www.telerik.com. And now... Man who's not at all opposed to resorting to cheap Canadian stereotypes, Carl Franklin. You're listening to the .NET Rocks Live Weekend. Carl and Richard here with uh, Kent Alstad on the phone, and Mary Jo Foley is here after her show, and she's going to probably chime in too. Hi, Kent. Hi. How are you? I am doing really well on a gorgeous Sunday. Uh, I have. I was living in Latvia last World Cup, and I have friends from Latvia, Slava, uh, who Richards met from Latvia, has come, and I just we just played ball hockey the old Canadian way in the forest, and I, I, uh, I, I've been being a quintessential Canadian all morning, and it's <laughs> feeling awesome. good. I might even say sorry and apologize for no reason a few <laughs> times just to keep it extra special. <laughs> yeah, they've. I've already been coined the only Canadian anyone has ever met that can actually be mean. So you have to hold up the the traditional Canadian role. For well, I, I know when to step aside, Richard. <laughs> uh, I, I I know the voice. <laughs> well, it's true. We've been we've been working together now for uh, fourteen, fifteen years. So that's right. You guys are strange loop, strange loop partners. Yeah, strange loopians, strange loop partners. So what is going on with strange loop? Well, you know, we just came through a fabulous show at Velocity, which uh, is a show put on. It was in San Jose this year, um, and we were uh, we big advertisers at that show, and it's really focused on making your website faster. And it was just a real pleasure to see a thousand people get together where we weren't convincing anybody that making your site faster would make you more money. We were all working together to see how we could do it. Yeah. And I, I, the IE9 folks were there, the Chrome folks were there, the Firefox folks were there, and it was just really exciting to see all the cool new things that are going on. And more than anything else, just the sense of collaboration was really nice to see. Our competitors were there, and we were you know, we were all you know working on the tough problems. You know how to deal with how to make third party ad content faster, how to accelerate and defer JavaScript, how to really you know topics which you know were dear to our hearts at Strange Loop, and you know we're making websites faster is is our passion. It's nice to see that everybody was, and so it was really really energizing. I have to say I'm I'm coming back with a, just a list of new ideas and and things to try so I'm, I'm kind of in an exciting exciting week an exciting time you know i was at that conference last year and, and spoke at a session uh, i think i had four or five hundred people in the room and there were, when i said how many people are developing on the microsoft stack i got zero hands hmm. which was an interesting experience altogether but i gotta ask him how many microsoft people were there um well 
the IE9 folks were there, and I definitely had to maintain the, the Microsoft presence in a lot of conversations because I don't think it was the most, the, the, you know, the common stack to be running. You know, it, but at the same time, there was, you know what, there was a fair number. But at this point, you know, we were HTML developers. Right. You know, we were web operations people, um, and that just turned out to be a detail. That what you were more concerned about how browsers handled your HTML, and that the server was generating the right code for an appropriate browser, than you were how or which server technology you used to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but I do agree that it wasn't. You know, it was a different crowd for me. It was a real different crowd. Um, but you know, they were respectful and intelligent. So I, I you know, I, I and accepting and, and open. And so I found it uh, a good a good environment. So uh, Strange Loop won the best product at TechEd like two years in a row. Yeah, or... yeah. yeah and... We just released a new product um, at at Velocity, our, our site optimizer 4.0. So and we're we're now we're we're coming out. We're we're, we're continuing to evolve. So tell us, and I know Richard's talked about it on the show, and you've talked about it on the show, but it's been a while, so. Tell us just what give us the elevator speech about what this box does. This box comes in three flavors. So this technology comes in three flavors. We have a cloud offering, we have a virtual appliance, and we have a hardware appliance. In the simplest terms, it's a hardware appliance that would either be your load balancer or sit behind your load balancer in front of your web servers. It would sample requests and responses and compile optimizations for those requests and response pairs offline. Um, We usually would sample three to five hits uh, per URL mapping, and we would perform, we, we create what are called substitution instructions. And those instructions are used to optimize subsequent requests by browser. So the result of it is that we would uh, take a site that maybe had 60 or 70 round-trip images and CSS and JavaScript, embedded JavaScript resources, and consolidate them using the most appropriate technology for each calling browser to maybe use, if we were working with uh, IE8, a combination of data URLs and MHTML so that there were maybe five requests and uh, we would reorder the HTML so as to have the minimum amount of blocking and mm. defer the most amount of JavaScript. So you would have a page that, before we were um, acting on it or accelerating it, would take you know five to eight seconds and would be two to three seconds when we were done. Mm. And our value proposition is, by and large, right now, to you know geared at um, large public sites, normally retailers, and our our. Um, goal is to move their business metrics normally conversion rate and we've you know our large customers have experienced 8 to 10% jump in conversion rate which translates into you know a quick and easy ROI for many businesses on this type of uh, uh technology investment Really, the, the idea is that instead of having developers constantly tune their website to you know, meet each browser's demand, to, meet, you know, to catch up with new techniques as they arise, that they just let StrangeLoop do it on the fly, and the developers focus on delivering business value for their application, and StrangeLoop look at, looks after making it fast by default. So there's a couple of directions we could go in here because I think we're in an interesting place in the market right now. One is that I think in general, folks are starting to grasp this idea that, that the speed matters. You know, you were talking about a page that does is running at eight or nine seconds. And I think for the average developer, you're like, hey, that's pretty fast. I got a page that runs for 60 seconds. And yet yeah, there's there's yeah. pretty good metrics now that show the benefit of taking that 10-second page to two seconds. Absolutely, absolutely. And in fact, we're finding now that the, it really, that was one of the heartening parts of Velocity was that all these companies were getting together and sharing their data on how much difference a uh, change in uh, page load time makes to the bottom line in a, in a uh, web property business. And it, it's pretty dramatic. 
people are seeing ROI in weeks for our box rather than, you know, what we originally suspected that, you know, the, the, uh, you know, the chain to the business um, uh, goal would, would not be so strong. But we're really, Shopzilla has been doing a lot of great data sharing and recording. And Google, well, now that Google is starting to add page speed to rankings, that's kind of kicked everything into a higher gear. Right. So, and, and the thing about it is that you understand the browsers and you understand ASP.NET, and it is an ASP.NET technology, right? Well, now, as of 4.0, we're now a, a full proxy that can act on any HTML that flows through it. Really? Some of our treatments are geared only for ASP.NET. Um, so that's where we came from, Yeah. Um, from that area, but we realized that Number one, when we were deploying technology that involved any sort of install in any way on the server, it became very onerous to uh, continue to maintain and to turn things on and off. So what we did is pushed everything to the device itself so that it's kind of a drop-in and go um, installation. Uh, you, if you wanted to turn it off, you you know you instantly can go back to where you came from without any changes to your web server whatsoever. So it really is a magic box. More so than it was in the past. You know, we're really working towards that. And in in fact, now with our cloud version, you can simply change your DNS, and you know we will if you route through us, we'll accelerate without even installing anything. So how does that work exactly? the cloud version. So you've got web servers in the cloud and you've got clients that access it. You change your web server's DNS address to the address of your device. Right. And then we would compress in the back end. So, you know, there's now going to be a longer trip between the, you know, our site optimizer and your web server, where normally it would be on a backbone and, you know, on a, on a gigabit net network. Now you're going across a longer distance. Um, but, because we move the resources that are embedded in your page forward to our device. Right. Um, and it's really the, only the HTML that takes the longer round trip. And we're normally gaining so much performance uh, given our optimizations that the net benefit is, is, is still there. That is I, I would brilliant. say that, you know, it, it's, it's definitely better to be right in front of the web server, but the reality is you want an easy deployment. You want it, it makes it very easy for our customers to try it, to understand what they're dealing with. And in some cases, you know, it turns out uh, to be in better than what they had because we'll locate our cloud version closer to their users and we'll get the, the you know, the benefits of geography as well. And the benefits are dramatic, right? I mean, I don't think you've rattled off any performance numbers, but give well, us some. we like to... We would say a minimum twice as fast and up to five and ten times as fast. It really depends on what the state of your site is. If you had a content management system that you couldn't control the nature of the HTML very well, that's, that's like our sweet spot. Well, a 100% increase by itself is pretty compelling. Yeah, yeah, and, and beyond that, you know, it depends on the capacity of the organization that's using us to affect the problem themselves. Sometimes there's just no alternative. You know, right. you might be using a large content management system that is sluggish, and you don't have the opportunity to change and write the code differently. So, hmm. you know, often in that case, there's just not an alternative for people. And what this really means is that your developers can continue to use web forms in view state and session state. And all those things that we loved about ASP.NET in the beginning that have proven to be performance bottlenecks. And without, without, without even thinking about without it. Without even thinking about it. Just don't yeah, even just, just yeah, take develop, that off your plate. Yeah, focus on building rich business applications that satisfy your users. Yeah, there's, let su us, there's subtler things let us to this, research too. research what's coming out in IE9 and tune your pages for IE9 and you right. know, let us defer the JavaScript in a way that works well with the new compiler. Or the, I mean, that's, the, the, the whole idea is that our team is constantly researching what the best practices are and automating them so that you don't have to do that. We're seeing more and more, I think, a divergence in the browsers that's becoming a, a focus point for the, the R&D side of Strange Loop, mm. that each browser is doing a few things a little differently, and it's, mm. it's happening more and more, i.e. 9 is going to be dramatically different. Mm. 
Yeah, I'm really excited about the potential there. We're we're starting to get a little bit more notice as well, so that when we uh, part of the the you know the best part of Velocity for me was I was able to go to these guys and say, you know, hey, how come you're not doing uh, resource packages that you said in Firefox six five three six you were going to do, and they pulled it out, you know, and and it it means that we can uh, aggregate resources and put them in the cache very easily, um, and now they're listening to us because you know we're we're getting a bigger market share, and we're able to contribute and help more in the market uh, and involve the browsers in a way that is helpful for us, but helpful for everybody in the long run. I'm really excited by the mm. fact that um, you know the web is getting more and more usable because there, there there is the tendency as applications get richer and 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 people add more and more bells and whistles to them that the the user experience you know is just degraded and mm-hmm. you know that can be really frustrating for people and I and I think that we all kind of intuitively know that. But now we're starting not only to get statistics, but, you know, real believers in helping us get through it. Mm. This question here from the IRC channel from Daryl Miller asking, uh, do you find that apps that follow the REST constraints, that's self-descriptive messages, resource identification, and uniform interface, are easier to optimize, or is there less room for improvement because they're already efficient? Mm. Yeah, there's less room for improvement because they're already efficient. If you, I mean, we are working to be better with how we how we optimize a REST or or AJAX oriented site, but that offers a unique set of challenges where you're trying to, in that case, mostly defer the amount of JavaScript that's loaded and when it needs to run versus aggregating resources to make fewer round trips. There's normally, in that kind of application, the Chrome can be optimized on the first hit, and then the question becomes, how do you optimize the rest of the application? Right. And it and there's less room. I mean, you know, other than compression and you know some of the standard stuff. Now you're looking at how do I make sure that the only the JavaScript that I need to run is run um, on you know before on load, and then you're doing it. There's a lot of JavaScript deferral techniques that are used there. Mm. And I, I would emphasize that what we're doing is just enacting best practices automatically for the most part. If there are companies that have spent, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars on their developers to do these techniques on their own sites. Right. And we're not, this is why when you say it's a magic box, in, in some ways, I, I, it's, you know, it's not. We're, we're doing stuff that we could explain, and you would go, oh, yes, I read about that on this well, blog. It's magic in terms of you plug it in, you turn it on, you put on the treatments, and it goes faster. That's yeah, magic so to that's me. magical, but how it doesn't, yeah, how it well, does sure. it is not magical. I just of course wanna, not, you know, yeah. That, that, that is, a, you know, not going to be a surprise to anybody. No, no, yeah, yeah. And and there is caching is a significant part of what you do in the treatments and and that is made possible because last time I talked to Richard about this it's a 64 bit box with a buttload of memory yeah a yeah. buttload of memory that and all of our databases are in memory and so all of our aggregations and what we call treated resources are uh, served out of the mm. cache on our device mm. and if you're using a CDN they're pulled forward onto the CDN mm-hmm. Um, that's, so that's we're really, smart. you know, we're we're really finding that working with the CDN and 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 kind of being the CDN booster is also a really big market for us. So we like to, you know, we're we're in the business of taking people to the, you know, to the top of the optimization uh, rank. Um, what I like about this is that your box isn't doing things that need configuration. Like it learns its configuration based on what's happening, the speed of stuff that's downloaded from the CDN, the size of graphics, the the way in which, you know, view state is stored. You're looking at all this stuff and smartly on the fly determining what treatments and how those treatments should be applied. I just Absolutely. think that's brilliant. Yeah, it's it's imagine it's like it's it's like sampling. You're you're sampling and then analyzing a lot like you would do if you were just looking at the site right. with your brain, right? right? You would hit the site and you would look through it and you would look for where are the opportunities and you would, you know, go through a round, oh, geez, you know, I see the problem. My CSS is all buried at the bottom and I'm not getting rendered. You know, it, it's, it, the things that we do are just these rules put into an automated, organized system yeah. so that we can, you know, 
one one treatment after another, apply them um, in a safe and predictable way. Um, do, you, do you have but any? It sure, is a challenging job. I got to say, yeah. I really I really do enjoy my job these days. I I, I remember we we talked at I think it was Richard's fortieth birthday party. We were talking about the challenges of working. Um, you know, with Linux developers who aren't as familiar with uh, uh, ASP.NET and the things that they have to learn about, you know, how view state is going on and how session works behind the scenes and bridging that gap between, you know, the bare metal of your box and and, and the, the algorithms that you have to do and the analysis of what's going on over HTTP. And, and it you know, it is challenging. And But, uh, man, how... How rewarding, though. But I wanted to ask you, though, um, I can't remember what I was going to ask you, so I'll just make something up. How's that? <laughs> uh, there were, it was, it had to do with, um, uh, the, the, the treatments. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh, no, I remember what it was. Do you, do you have any success stories with, uh, customers and, and performance and, uh, you know, and successful installations that you can share with us? Yeah. Yeah, I do actually. I think the one that was we shared at Velocity, which is Auto Anything, uh, which is a large online uh, part auto parts retailer, kind of uh, anything that you need for your car uh, purchased online. Um, and they have been a customer of ours for some time, and you know, kind of a banner customer. And they've now said that we can uh, we can talk about them. And and uh, what we've found there is that we've been able to increase their conversion significantly. Um, you know. Re- easily come up with an ROI that they're excited about. They like us in production all the time. Um, and what we found there was the developers, you know, they, they live and die by increasing their conversion rate. They try. We, we have traffic segmentation. So you can, um, you can try accelerating portions of your traffic and with our analytics compare it to portions that are unaccelerated or with one technique versus another technique. So it allows them to learn a lot about their users and what's working, but mostly it has allowed them to focus on delivering a better experience to their users um, from a, their own development shop perspective. They're able to build the things that they need to build and that what their customers are act, asking for because customers rarely ask for speed. They only complain about it if it's not there. Right? Well, I just went to it and... Man, I mean, you know, wow, that's fast. I feel like an infomercial here. Mm, that's great bass. Yeah, so, so, I mean, <laughs> but no, it, it's it's absolutely blazing fast. Compared so we're, to, we're starting to get some really nice traction now, and some of their competitors are taking notice. You um, should talk to gmail.com, I'm just saying. <laughs> well, yeah, they actually, I spent some time at Velocity understanding that problem. And again, there's where you're dealing with more JavaScript deferral. Um, yeah, so there's what we're finding is that the industry is moving very quickly, and we are forced to really, really stay on top of the latest trend. But in many ways, that's good for us because, let's face it, developers are not paid to stay up on, on the latest trends in acceleration for the most part. You know, they want to know, hey, how can I keep my data integrity? How can I add a new, you know, a new visualization that, you know, helps customers see the value of their product? And again, the, mm. the, the speed is this thing that people expect by default. The only thing is that often what you have to do is some of the most complex coding right. in your application to get the speed. And what's worse, then you have to maintain it forevermore. Now, what if your bottleneck is not your user interface? What if it's your back end? I mean, there's nothing you can do about that, right? Well, you'd be surprised. That w- what so there's hope for Twitter.com? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that's, a, that's, so that's something that we, we think a lot about. And what we've tried to do is offload the server as much as possible from all the subordinate resources. So embedded resources, instead of being served from the servers, now can be served off of um, our device. But also, we are able to cache HTML sometimes if it's the first hit if you're coming from the outside world and there's not any uh, session, there's not a potential for session to be built up or re- uh, retained, um, we're able to uh, cache that HTML. And so by offloading rendering that would normally happen um, on on the server, 
you it has a strange effect where all of a sudden the stuff that um, you couldn't help with is going faster because there's less going on in the server and there's more process available processor available to help you do the the job that was slow. So output so, caching in ASP.NET does that pretty well, though. You do absolutely. Some- so if you're able to go through and I, I think that. In, that's a great example of if you're willing to maintain output caching, right, which is, there, and there's very, well, I would say there's a little difference because what we found was output caching could normally only be applied um, on hits where the, the visitor was coming to the site for the very first time because nor, so many sites have s- some form of personalization. Yeah. And then now you're doing um, what's called uh, using a substitution control, and now you're into, it just gets increasingly complex to maintain that code if you're going to use the, now you're designing your application around, you know, the the speed technology. And and instead of focusing on building your business, you're focusing on, you know, probably your best developer is, you know, off building substitution controls for all the login and everything that you're finding is is uh, personalized on a page, and your entire application would take on a different architecture by the time they had finished. And by the way, that best developer now has to kind of patrol that for the rest of the for the rest of eternity. Actually, every <laughs> new feature that goes in has to respect these new rules that have been created around caching. And we found that that just wasn't that practical which is why it's used less than you would expect. This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by our good friends at Telerik, whose RAD controls outperform all others. Are you experiencing performance hits when handling millions of records with your Silverlight grid? Have you been frustrated by the amount of XAML code it takes to create a control template? There are so many potential bottlenecks that can drag your app performance. And of course, there's no universal solution for them. The good news is the guys from Telerik understand the complexity of that problem. When building RAD controls for Silverlight, they isolate every probable source of performance loss. Then they apply a respective solution. Through UI and data virtualization, data sampling, and content recycling, RAD controls help you deliver unbeatable performance with your Silverlight apps. You can check out Telerik Silverlight Grid handling 50 million cells as a piece of cake, or RAD chart working seamlessly with a million records. Just go to Telerik.com slash Silverlight slash performance for details. And hey, don't forget to thank them for supporting .NET Rocks. They truly make this show possible. Could I throw in a question? Absolutely. From the peanut gallery? I I'm, would love to hear what Kent thinks about IE9 and what Microsoft's done around the JavaScript uh, engine there, the Chakra engine is yeah. that what it's called really it the is that's engine? the code name believe it or oh not my god yoga has infected yes, our lives it is. <laughs> oh come on what's the, the matter the with chakras are older than that right this is old school it's hindu <laughs> yeah hindu faith stuff yeah. it's big deal but yeah. i I'm, I'm curious if you really think they've done a whole lot there or is it more bells and whistles like is it uh, what are we everyday users going to see when we see ie9 as far as performance tuning as far as I can see, you're going to see it be as good as Chrome or better. Um, I see that the, the speed, the JavaScript, compiled JavaScript execution time is at least comparable or better. Um, the, the use of the GPU is something that they're ahead of everybody on in terms of rendering and uh, rendering with HTML5. In, for the most part, for us, they've caught up. IE8 was struggling. Uh, the JavaScript was noticeably slower. The JavaScript ex- execution was noticeably slower. Um, we had to do special things to get IE8 to be as fast as Firefox and uh, Chrome. And now with IE9, they've become the leader again. Um, and so our tests with uh, the new Chakra engine have been mind-boggling. It's, I mean, it's compiled JavaScript, and it seems to compile extremely quickly. You know, like uh, often in, in less than a second, you've got the the uh, uh, you've gone away from the interpreted to the the fully compiled version, and it really, yeah, I think they've made a real leap forward there. In fact, it, it 
I, was, I went back to the office after talking to everybody, and one of the comments was, well, so they've caught up with everybody else. And um, I think that they've, in my opinion, done more than that. I think they've become the leader. Um, I expect that there's going to be lots of challengers. There's definitely a lot of competition in the area. But uh, I think the GPU stuff they've done is also really stunning. Yeah, one could argue that Microsoft's sitting on a pool of the best talent in terms of compilation and GPU utilization. The DirectX team defined GPUs for the world. And, uh, and then they've been building compilers for 30 years. So if the, any two things that can actually have a shot at actually leapfrogging people, it would be those technologies. But it definitely it's a leapfrogging situation. This has, you know, IE8 and IE, IE is the browser we pay the most attention to because most people use it. And we were struggling to get the same experience out of it that we could get out of other browsers. And I feel like IE9 has pulled it right back. I, I think people are going to love it. I hope that we can get the adoption we need so that we can uh, see more people happier with their web experience. But I, I'm, I was really excited. I saw Jason Weber speak, and I thought he was an amazing speaker, uh, very articulate, and most of all, just he, the, the, guy, the Chrome, Mike Belshi and Jason Weber, I thought were, were really stunning, st- stunning at the, the show. Chris, like whose last name escapes me from Firefox, also made a presentation, and I thought he was... The, I, I was just really blown away with where the browser guys are going. They are really pushing each other hard, and thankfully, um, IE8, which was behind in the race, is, you know, IE9 guys can hold their heads high, I think. I have a, we have a question from, uh, from the Twitters. Daryl Miller says, Can you tell me what your experiences are regarding the effect of query parameters in the URL... Uh, on caching? Well, um, it depends. We it, What the effects are is that you essentially have a new page. It, you, you, you imagine that um, whether you have a, a URL with query parameters or a uh, sort of an MVC type URL that may not have query parameters but has, you know, a deep path that essentially uh, the same rich data is found in the in the URL. I think that it makes mapping requests to cache items more challenging. Um, I mean, that is what that is the, the difficulty in the job. I would say that it's not just with query parameters, though. That's somewhat short sighted. You you can it's with um, very embedding data in the URL that's important to your application. And effectively, you're just talking about different pages. You know, each time you have a query parameter that affects your page draw, you might as well have, we call it a factory page. It's mm-hmm. one page that is really many pages. It's a different URL, therefore it's a different page. Yeah, and so, I mean, you have to have a caching strategy that works um, for for a more complex situation. And honestly, that is the, that is the problem. It's, I mean, if you, yeah. if you didn't have that, it would be, life would be simple. We have in the output cache directive the vary by param uh, attribute, which we can say we want to have multiple versions of this page based on this parameter that's passed in. But I can see how that can get out of hand very quickly. Absolutely. The booby trap here is that uh, you start creating ca- you start eating up memory in cache right. that never gets reused. Right. And right. now, if you're on a a, a web farm. What happens there? Yeah, you, you, you're exactly right. You're hitting, ca- you have cache items that can't get found. It, it becomes very messy. The, the really evil one we, that I've run into and, and out in the field is 75% of cache memory is never used more than once. It was only written out and never got hit again mm. because you get into this very unique caching situation. Right. So, so the way our box deals with that is that we generalize our acceleration instructions for pages. So in the case where one page is actually many pages, what we do is accelerate the Chrome or what we call the lowest common denominator uh, in terms of resources for that set of pages. Um, mm-hmm. So you can have very dynamic HTML. The page is actually really different. But here's the set of common things which will accelerate. All the things that are unique and different will remain unaccelerated because, you know, they would cause such a tremendous, we call it instruction explosion. Um, 
where you just end up with so many instructions that you know mapping between the URL and the cache item or the optimization, uh, you, they just don't get reused. And that's that's common in like a catalog application where you might have you know hundreds of thousands of permutations. Um, and so the the solution that we've found to that is to generalize your optimizations, uh, you know, maybe based on a, parts of the catalog or uh, parts of the Chrome. And we found that to be quite effective. But definitely when it comes to caching, how you map URLs to cache items or optimizations is the problem. So um, really that question was how, that was a very sneaky way of asking a very difficult question. Um, hats off to you. I mean, yeah. That's what we all have to do, right? Just varying by param doesn't do it enough. In fact, I would argue that not only do you need to know what the parameters are, but you need to know is the cache cold um, or is it primed? And is the what, what's the session like? Because if it's a session where the user's never been there, you have a, a lot different opportunity because less personalization has happened and there's a chance of caching. Cold. Right? So, so you, you need to go beyond just this. You, know, you need to need know more than just the URL, you need to know the, know the state and the context uh, with which the, the user is acting or in. You know, do, do you see where I'm coming from? When you say cold and primed, I'm thinking steak. Maybe it's just because I'm hungry. <laughs> that's a vegetarian. Know. That's not where I'm going. No, with I that. know that. <laughs> I, I know that. But what does that mean exactly? Uh, whether or not you have the uh, resources for a particular page in your local browser cache, i.e. the cache is primed, or there are none. It's the first time you've ever gone to the site, or you've just cleared your cache, oh, and the, the cache is so cold. Em- empty or full. You yeah. know what? You're just not with the lingo, Carl. I'm sorry, You're, you're never, never going to eat a steak. I know. You know yeah. Empty or full. I'd like it to be empty. <laughs> I, I, would, I need to learn the word entricote. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. It's a steak. Give me a steak. <laughs> Uh, should we dig into a little HTML5? How, do you see Absolutely. that impacting the performance equations much, my friend? I have. Well, I mean, I am striving for ways to find um, applications for HTML5 in acceleration. Right. So imagine app cache and local storage are very interesting. Sure. Um, especially when it comes to looking at how mobile browsers are supporting HTML5 and how they deal with caches. I mean, mobile browsers work differently in that, you know, in the, in the case of an iPhone, for example, if you're, um, if you're trying to put an image that's greater than 20K, I believe it is right now, um, into the browser cache and you've got all the caching directives, it just doesn't do it. You know, it, it doesn't have the memory to, to waste on these large images and they're refetched all the time. So, you know, probably the, the number one acceleration uh, technique overall is just bring the data close to the user and, in other words, on their device and right. you know, don't call for it again unless it changes, right? And so HTML5 is offering us with uh, local storage, for example, ways to you know, store uh, encoded uh, data locally, uh, even on something like an iPhone or uh, other mobile browsers. And uh, that, uh, you know, that's a, a big opportunity. Um, a lot of the you know, the rounded corner, a lot of the new CSS stuff is harder for us to implement on the fly hmm. and, and harder for us to take advantage of because that's very rooted in how you've designed your site. And, and so far, we haven't been able to automatically make those calculations. But that, I mean, there's an, a big advantage in that, you know, imagine with HTML5 and, and using CSS more effectively, you can also reduce a lot of resource uh, consumption simply because those curved corners don't have to be images anymore. Right, yeah. right. For example, right? So there's opportunities that we haven't been able to take advantages, advantage of yet, but there is new um, capacities like local storage, which are just opportunities that we're jumping on and I'm, I'm really excited about so we're, you know, we're really moving. I, I, I'd like to see more and more adoption. I mean, the reality is we deal with um, a web that still has some Internet Explorer six. Uh, There's a lot, you know, and, and, and so we're, we're, you know, that we can't jump right to it. We have to have a range of accelerations. Um, but we're excited by what we can do with HTML five. Friends don't let friends use IE six. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, boy, I wish there was some way I could make that true. A wise Canadian once said, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I think it was you, actually. It was me. <laughs> yes. IE6 bad. Make bad. It, make it go away. <laughs> yeah, I noticed the, the, uh, the Google guy when he presented how the Chrome upgrade path. Chrome gets upgrades within, like, 99% upgrades within 24 hours. Mm, wow. Um, and I'm not sure how they make that work. Maybe that's why you see so much IE in enterprise, because they, you know, an enterprise just can't suffer the browser changing all the time. Or, you know, the, so I, I'm not sure if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but um, I can tell you that not all the browsers suffer as much from the low adoption that, you know, IE does. And we'd sure like to see some way of, of you know, but the faster we could get everybody moved to IE9, just I think the whole world's a better place. <laughs> uh, Daryl Miller wants to know if you're scared about WebSockets, and should he be? Um, oh, no, I want to use WebSockets. I, I want to use, I would say, investigate Speedy, which is uh, the new Google uh, technology that I think is more effective than WebSockets. Um, what are WebSockets? Uh, a, a method of over HTTP uh, serializing or requests to your web server without waiting for responses. So, so like a stream? Yeah, more more like a stream, um, but it's it's not by default. You must change your code to make it work. Whereas Speedy um, allows you to not change your code and still take advantage of it. But I. My understanding, and I don't feel like I'm an expert in this area. I'm still basically doing research, but I'm really entertained by WebSockets and trying to see how to leverage them. Um, for a long time, I believed that pipelining, uh, a technology supported you know, natively by Opera and almost by every browser where you know you can make many requests on the same connection at the same time without waiting for a response, which... Most servers just deal with very, very badly. Yes. Um, so it's not really an effective technology right now. But that concept, which we see in WebSockets, which is possible with WebSockets, which is uh, ingrained and in, in, you know how Speedy works by default, I think is a very constructive way to deal with latency problems. Right. The, the, what, what we're doing here is trying to hide latency. This is a game of hiding latency. And the reason we have latency is normally because of essentially logical stupidity. You know, we could make many requests and wait for a server to answer, but instead we make one, we wait. And then we make mm -hmm. another when we wait. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, one way to deal with that and how we've dealt with it in the past is we make fewer requests. Well, if it's going to be so expensive and I got to wait, let me make fewer. And that has resulted in really, you know, great speed up. But I think going forward, an, a nice approach is to just stop waiting. Just keep firing off the requests and uh, having the ability to interpret the responses as they arrive from the server. Hopefully, uh, with as l with the least amount of contention between the requests as possible. So, um, I think that the, should you be scared, I would be looking at ways to leverage it. That's what I'm doing, but may, I'm, I'm in maybe a different business, and because you know I'm trying to use these technologies to help others automatically, but I feel like that's going to benefit whoever was that answered the question ultimately, I would certainly look at um, attempting, if you've got a really chatty application and you have the potential to use WebSockets, it's a viable. I mean, I, I, I think what I he means is in terms of optimization, he clarifies there is really no visibility into the data. How could you optimize it? Yeah, you, uh, other than you implementing it yourself in your web application, that we, strangely, cannot optimize it. That's why we're more attracted by Speedy because we can, uh, you know, affect the problem and help you with that. But I'm not convinced that the visibility, we might, yeah, that's kind of standard for me that I don't have enough visibility into the problem and I just don't give up. <laughs> like I, I hear you and I hear what he's saying, but 
Can we have clues? Can we, act, can we somehow get the developer to give us the minimum amount of clues to what's going on so that we can help um, in a reliable way and save them work? But it's definitely challenging. You know, it, it's an optimization that I think is hard for us to, to help as much as we would like to. It's not as simple and straightforward, but the, I don't think the patterns have really uh, arisen yet. So I, I guess what I want to look at is more sites. I, I, need, I need more data before I can decide that I, we, it's a dangerous thing that we can't help with. I'm, I'm hoping that I can see a pattern. But, so yeah, what, I'll admit it. Yeah, I'm somewhat scared by it. <laughs> <laughs> so in summary, yes. I realized yes. I was dancing around the truth there. And, uh, okay. <laughs> Uncle. You got me. You got, got me. me. <laughs> hey, Sean Wildermuth says, hello, you're awesome. Oh, thanks. I really enjoyed playing guitar with Sean, actually. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, there was a one crazy night in Bulgaria where one um, isn't that a song one night in bulgaria <laughs> yeah one crazy night in bulgaria where uh, mr franklin and i got to play some tunes and sean played some songs and we just had such a fabulous time that was singing awesome. and playing together i feel that is just so good for my computer science brain uh, works well the more i play music and uh, i think that uh, interpersonally that was really you know, great thing for everybody to do. I'm working on a I'm working on a, a, a formal correlation between musicians and programmers, and why there seems to be so much crosstalk. And uh, I I don't I you know I haven't done any hard science on it, but my gut feeling tells me that it tickles the same parts of the brain, maybe on different sides, but definitely the same part. I think it might even be the same the same part on the same side. I I really see the I th ever since you talked to me about it, I've been thinking a lot about it. And I really believe that the, the creativity I get in the flow state of improvising on a guitar mm. is pretty similar Very. to me working through a problem, you know, where I start at 8 o'clock and realize, oh, my God, it's 7.30 p.m. I've got to see the kids or, yep. you know, like come out of my stupor. You're still in your I'm, underwear. Yeah, I'm still in my underwear. <laughs> right. You know, that, that sort of, it, it is... The, An hour's gone by. I think there's a yeah. sense of creativity and pattern organization that is uh, inherent in both of them. Abstract manipulation. There was one piece uh, that this whole process that I that sort of grabbed me. I was reading recently, which was uh, the element of mastery. You right. are never perfect at playing guitar, and you're never perfect at writing code. Right. You only can strive to get better. And once you realize that you will never, you're not going to get that instant gratification from practicing, then it becomes all about the journey. Yeah, and, you know, and you sort I, of let go of that. I need to have that now. Yeah. It, you know, it's it's as though I get a set of requirements as a computer scientist and I get a solo with a set of chords that I'm going to play as a musician. Mm. And the reality is I can say, oh, great solo, Carl. I, you know, I wouldn't have thought of playing that. Right. In the same way that I can look at the problem, hey, wow, yeah. I wouldn't have thought of doing it that way. And look at how little code it was. Wow, that, you know, the same sort of cleverness or or it, it just seems the same sort of twist of logic goes into both of them, which... I mean, I see that as a, a, one of the strong correlations between the two things. The other thing is that there's just so many people that I know. I've that broken it down into areas of, of commonality, like an architect could be analogous to a composer. You could say Bach is an architect of, you know, using 12 tones. Right. And uh, you could say that uh, source code is analogous to manuscript, you know, to, to written music. Absolutely. And it's an it's a language. It's a language to describe something that doesn't exist. It's abstract. It exists in your head. And uh the manipulation of these ideas and pattern recognition, right? And yeah. how about how about uh pair programming and 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 uh and improvisation? Duetting. Absolutely. You know? Lennon McCartney, man, like they were they might as well have been the first XP programmers. Absolutely. So I mean there are so many different ways in which these things cross and these paths cross that I, I met a guy um, at uh, PC last year who said that he only hires musicians and not just any musicians, improvisational musicians as developers. Those are the only guys he wants on his team. 
Can I get an interview? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll bring my guitar. Yeah. Yeah, I just love it. I, I have to say that uh, music is a really big part of my life. I happen to have one of the, another guy that works, actually, one, two, three, four people that work in our company are fabulous musicians. And, ah, oh, boy, I, you know, I, I schedule time every time I'm around them to, to also jam. And yeah. it's, it forms such a playful bond that it, it's so constructive and positive when we're in our regular work environment. Mm. We work on really hard problems, like you know the, la- the last question, how are you going to deal with it? Well, I don't know. Maybe there's not enough clues. I, can't, you know, I, I go to bed thinking that I'm not going to solve it, and then I wake up in the morning with a, uh, an idea. And, yeah. you know, and, and, and I found that the attitude that you get from music is also really very conducive to good programming and good behavior in general on a programming team. Yeah. So, so I, I also like that. I mean, a, a great band, the way they work together. I was, uh, I was playing a live uh, performance a little while ago with a, a guy, and we were playing, we were playing, oh, Sympathy for the Devil, and I had not played it before I was playing bass. And I didn't know where the change was down to the E, and, you know, the, the guitar player, when he saw the first time that I didn't know when I lagged, Every time it was coming up, I'd see a little glance back. I'd catch my eye right at the right time, and from then on, I never had the problem. And huh. I thought, wow, it's just was, you know, what teamwork. Right. It was such a pleasure to be it's like, thanks, buddy, you know, saving my butt in front of all these people, <laughs> you know, not making the bad change. And I, it's just, again, you know, somebody sitting over my shoulder and I'm going, no, you know, here's what I'm doing. You know, right. the base class has this method yeah. and, you know, here's the, here, here's, and the guy looking over my shoulder, well, look at what you typed, you know, <laughs> you know <laughs> correcting me as I'm going. It just seemed so similar to that. Yeah. And, and the thing is, you know, if you look at it and we, I know we got to wrap it up, but if you look at um, a group of jazz musicians who are improvising, you know, they have a loose form that they follow and then they go off and they do something that is going to be different every time. The feel of it, the mood of it, it's all sort of decided by listening and sort of communication that if you're, you know, they're tuned in by their ears and they go off places just because they're hearing it. And if you're not tuned into that and you're watching it happen, it looks like magic. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think the same is true of technology. Yeah, learning to listen. The boxes such as your strange loop box appears to be magic to me. You know. Uh, Don't worry. It's just that it was good listening. Ah, (laughs) very good. I guess we're going to have to end it there. Ken Alstad, thank you very much, man. Our time here is too short. Yeah, I had a great time. Thank you very much for letting me have this opportunity. You know, I really enjoy talking to you guys, and glad we got a little music talk in, and as well as Strange Loop. Uh, check us out at you know www.strangeloopnetwork.com. .NET Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services. Online at www.pwop.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers. Online at www.franklin's.com. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website at www.dotnetrocks.com. Got a band by the FCC, yes, I'm a top.